For this morning, our Old Testament reading comes to us from the 50th chapter of the first book of our Bible, the book of Genesis. Now, at this point in Genesis, uh, Joseph was a son of Jacob, and he, uh, he was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers after they pretended he had died and tried to fool Jacob into thinking he was dead. Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery, went to Egypt, and eventually, through that pain and suffering, became second in command of Egypt. Uh, and so his brothers had every right to it, or he had every right to hold a grudge against his brothers, but here, as their father dies, he requests forgiveness from Joseph and he grants it. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when, he, when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading comes to us from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14. In somewhat of a similar vein, uh, the, Paul, as he writes to the Romans, reminds them that it is God whose vengeance and judgment is for us to not, not take that place. And so uh, he reminds us that within our church, within our faith community, we're going to have disagreements, but let us not call those things sins when we disagree, but to work with each other and forgive when we have made mistakes. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, but who is able to make him stand? One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. 
So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise as we hear from the gospel. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus tells a parable in response to Peter's question about how often we should forgive. I want to give you a brief note about this upcoming parable. Two uh, monetary denominations are mentioned, that of the talent and that of the denarii. Uh, so the talent is worth about 20 years worth of labor's wages, and a denarii is a day's worth of labor's wages. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, do not say, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven shall, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. While his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us Grace, mercy, and peace be to each and every one of you through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our religion, our faith, our church stands entirely dependent on the truth of Christ and his cross. Not just that it's a historical event, it certainly is that, that Jesus Christ, a man, went to the cross and died, but we also believe that it wasn't just an ordinary man, but 
God and man. Execute. By him dying on the cross, he paid the penalty of our sin. He paid for our disobedience. He, he paid for it all, making it gone. Giving us, as I was telling our young people this morning, forgiveness. A complete wiping away. That is the foundation of our church. As that old hymn says, the church's one foundation is what? Jesus Christ her Lord. If we are to erase the cross, erase what Christ did, there's literally no reason for you to be here this morning. No reason to sing hymns, no reason to listen to a reading, no reason to listen to some guy preach. If this isn't true, we're lost. There's no point to any of this. So our entire church stands or falls based on the foundation of the cross. And the foundation of what was accomplished on the cross, which is forgiveness. So you could probably say that our church stands or falls on forgiveness. That's the point. The point of coming here is not to learn how to be a good person. The point of coming here is not to be a part of a community event. The point of coming here is Forgiveness, the wiping away of our sins. And you could even go on further, I think, and say forgiveness is actually the basis of our life. Because as we live our lives, every person at some point or another, regardless of their faith, comes to terms with the brutal reality of mortality. That we all have a finite amount of years here on this earth. And once we realize that, there's an existential question. There's a question about how I am, who I am, where I am going. And as we take a hard look at our lives and see the mistakes that we've made, see that the words that we've said and, and, and the regrets that we have... If we stand before our God in judgment and we bring those things before him, what's he going to think of us? And so if I am not forgiven, what's the point? I'm assuming that since you're here this morning, you're on board with the whole forgiveness thing. You get it. You believe it. You hear it in, in the scriptures. You hear it from the cross of Christ. You know the distinct comfort of knowing that your indiscretions, your mistakes, your regrets have been removed. That they're erased. That they're not just pushed off into a closet somewhere that eventually will be opened up. But they've been made as far from you as the east is from the west by the power of the cross of Christ. And Christ tells a parable this morning in his gospel that illustrates how powerful that forgiveness truly is. He tells of a man who owed a great debt to a king. He owed 10,000 talents. And as I said earlier over there, that we think of a talent was somewhere between 10 to 20 years worth of labor. So imagine your salary or your yearly, what you yearly claim on your taxes times 10 to 20 times 10,000. That's how much this man owed this king. An insurmountable amount. He couldn't make that in a hundred lifetimes. 
It's literally unpayable. And so the king is ready to have him sold, have his, all of his possessions, his own family sold into slavery, so at least a little bit of restitution could be made. And the man pleads for mercy. And what does the king do? The king takes pity and forgives the debt. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to stick it in this closet and bring it back out again sometime. He says, it's gone. What a picture of relief. What a picture for, for those of us who, who are in debt, uh, for it, that debt that weighs on you just to be gone. The relief, the peace, the hope. But you know, Jesus wasn't telling this parable to give us an illustration of forgiveness, but he was answering a question from Peter. Because Peter wanted to know, how often am I obligated to forgive somebody who keeps sinning against me. And Jesus tells this parable. He first tells of the king who relieves a massive and insurmountable debt. And then this happens in this parable as well. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which imagine, if you will, about a third of a year's worth of wages. So not insignificant, but certainly not 10,000 talents. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As I said, our church is built upon forgiveness. And it is easy to receive forgiveness, isn't it? It's comforting to be forgiven. Something that you've done wrong to, to a loved one and they say, I forgive you, and they move on. How freeing that is. Or to, to come into church and hear those words from your pastor who says, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to receive forgiveness is a wonderful experience, but... To give forgiveness, that's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? To give forgiveness to somebody who has wronged you is not always so easy. I think there's a sick satisfaction that we sometimes feel holding on to an offense. Something somebody said or something somebody did, and, and, and I'm still upset about it. I'm still going to be angry about it. I still want to clutch on to this. And, 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 and I wonder if that feeling of satisfaction we have comes from the desire to be better than them. I'm just going to hold on to this to remind myself that they're actually a bad person. But when we do that, when we refuse to let go of what somebody has done wrong to us, we're not punishing them. We're punishing ourselves. We're not hurting them. We're poisoning ourselves with bitterness. 
with anger, with rage, and it festers and it grows. And it affects how we treat ourselves and the people around us. When we refuse to forgive that thing that hurts us, whatever it is, you're letting that sin continue to control you. That sin still has power over your life. Even if the person who committed it has moved on, their life is different, your life is different, but you're refusing to let go of that. You have allowed that experience, that pain, to define you here and now. And Christ calls us today, my brothers and sisters, to not look at the sins committed against us, but to look at what the cross won for us. That if we're looking at sin, let's not look at the sin of our neighbor, but let's look at the sin of ourselves. Let's look at not 100 denarii that our neighbor owes us, but the 10,000 talents that we owe our God because he has taken every single misspoken word. He has taken every angry action. He has taken, taken every wrong thought and he has removed that penalty from us by placing it on his son on the cross. And as we look at the cross, we see how much our sin cost Christ. We see the debt that we owed paid completely and in full by the blood and the damnation of Jesus on the cross. And who are we to then turn around and say to our neighbor, who owes us a little bit, that they are not forgiven. And so when Christ calls us to look at his cross instead of the sin of our neighbor, he's freeing us. He's freeing us from the influence of that sin. He's freeing us from the pain of that sin. He's freeing us from our history. And we can look at others with these same eyes of Christ and saying, I know that you're a sinner, but I know that you're forgiven. I know that Jesus found value in you and died for you and made you his child here and now and forever. And I forgive you. I move on. Because when we see how much we've been forgiven, when we see the amount of debt that has been erased out of our ledgers, it's a lot easier to erase the debt that others owe us. So this isn't to say that uh, somebody who continually hurts you, you should just remain in that relationship. But what it means is we move on from those things that hurt us. We move on from those words that have pierced us and those actions that have caused us great harm. And we move on from them and not allow them to continue to control us. Because our sins have been removed from us as well. So we have been forgiven much, an insurmountable debt that none of us could pay. So let us show that same forgiveness through our words and our actions, maybe in our own heads, in our own hearts, or out loud to those who have wronged us, whatever it may be. Because of Christ, sin no longer has hold over us. Sin no longer has power over us. And together we live forever in him. Amen.
May the peace of Christ that surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.